we, we've been looking at this, uh, this issue of how, how do you stand amidst all that can rattle us in life. And last week we started the series talking about how we can be unfazed by distraction. And Psalm chapter 1, it really is this, you know, illustrated here on, on the front of your bulletin as well, on the front of your program. You see this picture of a, a person sitting under a tree, but that tree represents a person whose life is really rooted in God's Word and that they're drawing strength regularly from God's Word. They are the scripture says, a person who meditates on the law of the Lord day and night is like a person who is, it's like a tree planted by streams of water. Okay, and, and this, this tree is bearing fruit, it's full, it's green, it's thriving. And so, we're talking about how, how do you live that kind of a life where you're really thriving in life and not distracted and drying up. Uh, so this week what I want to do is talk about how we can live lives unfazed by intimidation. And I don't know if you're a person that struggles with intimidation. Intimidation, it's, you know, make to, to make something timid. If you've been made timid, then you're intimidated. Uh, do, do you ever maybe look around and feel threatened, or do you, maybe you realize, well, I'm in some, I'm in some frightening circumstances right now, or if this thing, uh, if this goes bad, this could be, this could be very harmful, this could be very dangerous, this could be uh, uncertain. I, I don't really know what's coming, but, you know, there's points where we, feel like maybe things are spinning out of our control. Um, sometimes it's world affairs, sometimes it's personal affairs, but that is the, the issue of intimidation, when things are spinning out of control or pressing in on us. Have you ever been truly shaken and gripped by fear and intimidated? Take, take a look at this video, and you're going to see one form of intimidation. for acid indigestion. So what are we going to use these for? Intimidation. Alka-Seltzer. (laughs) Now, I used to use that. Not the Alka-Seltzer, but the, the I, I would call it the I factor, okay? The intimidation factor. Now, I needed to do that because I've always been really small in my life. And so, anytime I stepped onto a field, a court, a mat, I would put on my game face, the smile goes away, and it's like stare-down mode. And uh, it's the I factor. You, you know, some of you guys know this, right? Some of you guys, you understand the I factor. And I, I, frankly, I had to do it. I was so tiny, I was always so shrimpy, that uh, when I was walking around, I was never intimidating, you know. And so uh, I had to kind of get in the guy's head or get in the team's head. And so uh, here's the picture. If you don't believe me, here's a picture of me in sixth grade. You can't even see me. I'm so small. <laughs> I heard a bunch of, oh, <laughs> like you feel sorry for me. That's okay. This is some of my friends from the end of, of grade school. This is just some friends I grew up with. They just kept growing. I didn't keep growing, you know. I was generally a full head shorter than the average person in the world. <laughs> or at least in, in my country and state. 
Because I have been in a country where I, was, I felt like I was a giant. But that's another, another story. But it never really bothered me that I w- was so short and that I am short. Uh, what I've always done is I just hang around people much, much taller and larger. And, then, and, I, and I don't feel that, that tiny. One of my friends in, in sixth grade was Dom. Here's a picture of Dom. And Dom was, he, it's not a good picture, but I found this picture and, and I thought, that, that represents Dom. He was, he was about a, a head taller than the average. So I was a head shorter than the average person. He was a head taller than the average person and he was the man. I mean, and he knew he was the man. It was kind of probably like, hey Dom! And he's like, I'm the man, you know, and I'm so tall and, I mean, he's in sixth grade and he's like taller than our principal and teachers. I mean, he was a stud. He was an athlete. He was a, and I was close to Dom and so I always felt pretty, you know, I wasn't intimidated. I, 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 I hung around this guy. He's a big guy and we grew up together and he, again, he just kept growing. I stopped growing and, uh, I wasn't really intimidated in grade school and then in junior high I moved. I moved out of this city into a new town, new environment. And then all of a sudden, fear and worry started creeping in because I didn't have anybody that I knew. So I didn't have any friends. I was anxious about that. And I, I can give in to, to anxiety over, over things. And so I remember for junior high, it was just, and it'd be like the pit in my stomach to try to muster up the strength to get to school or to have to go and try to break into a new class and, and go through that. that. That's me. But what about you? What have been the things in your life maybe that have caused you to battle with fear and anxiety? Sometimes it's you and your life and other times it's people connected to you. If you're a parent, sometimes you battle fear and anxiety tied to their lives. And But intimidation, it hits us in a variety of ways. I want to invite you to take out this listening guide and it can happen in big ways. It can happen in small ways. The, the Bible actually provides us with examples of both. Times where people are intimidated by huge issues and other times where there's these minor issues, but still it's, it's rather fearful. And so in Psalm 2, we see intimidation on... on Tom, Psalm 2 and Psalm 3 gives you intimidation on two levels. The first one in Psalm 2 is on a global level. Okay, On a global scale level, there's, there are... Issues that concern us. And even in our world, you turn on the news, there are concerning issues that can really frighten us. Uh, look at Psalm chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. The psalmist here, he writes, Why do the nations conspire and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth take their stand and the rulers gather together against the Lord and against His anointed one. Okay, so you see this. The psalmist is asking a question about this. Uh, he says, why, why do the people do this? Why do the nations around me, the, the world powers, the nations, conspire against, against God? They plot in vain. It says this. This is what they actually say. Let us break their chains, they say, and throw off their fetters. The word fetters, it just means cords or, or ropes. And so Psalm 2 picks up with this statement. Why do the nations do this? Why do the nations rage and plot in vain. They're doing this against the Lord. Why do they do this? The word plot here in this verse is the same Hebrew word that you find in chapter 1 of Psalm where it talks about the man who's meditating on the, the law of the Lord day and night. That, that idea of meditating on something is the same root word of plotting. So, you know, God, God's people are, are told, hey, meditate. You know, focus your mind. Mull on things. Mull on God's word. Let it stew in you. Let it just ruminate in your mind. Let it just go through the day and just 
Chew on God's word. Meditate on it. That's Psalm 1. That's, that's the life that God blesses, is described. Psalm 2 says, the psalmist is saying, why do the, why do the nations, why do they meditate or plot? Why, but they're plotting differently. They're thinking and they're mulling and they're, 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 they're trying to cast off the restraints that God, um, that they see that God has set up. So together, they, the nations, the psalmist writes, the nations, peoples, kings, rulers, they're plotting to really work against God. The world sees God as someone who is interfering with their plans, interfering with their lives and their freedoms. These are restrictive things, and so they want to they break the chains, they want to break the cords, they want to, let's tear off these restrictions from the Lord and His anointed one. That's what the psalmist is, is describing is going on in the world, in the world around us. The picture is, the world is saying, we are not going to be ruled by anyone. And whenever nations or people or rulers reject God's standards of right, and then, then what happens is all sorts of injustices are introduced. And then intimidation strikes. And so, that's the world we live in. Turn on the news. The effect of casting off God's laws and boundaries and restraints and saying, hey, we're, we're done with that, is that's, that's, that's our world. The outcome is pain, war. Uh, th- this is, there's, there's greater reasons. There's other issues as, as well. But world powers are flexing and threatening action. I mean, looming threats launch back and forth between our country and North Korea right now. It's like a constant going back and forth. And the big question is, on a global scale, is are we heading into war? What's going to happen with this situation? Terrorism. I mean, many of you have grown up in a world that that's all you've ever known is we live in a world of, of terror. Terrorism is a constant throughout the world. Economic fears on a global scale. What if these things happen? How would that affect um, the currency and the economy and the market and the housing and all of these things? And, or what about privacy? There's these global scale privacy issues. Like, my, is my data secure? You know, it, it, are, can I keep my my life really private, or is somehow everything gonna gonna be you know stolen? All my passwords, all my identity, you know, my my identity and all my and all my stuff. I mean, these are the fears. And how do we really know? All of these issues have something in common, which is on a global scale, they're all out of our control. <laughs> you can't totally control these different things that could happen. They're all they're all out of our control when they're on a global scale. But they can really impact us as we worry about where is this world heading? Where's our country heading? So you've got this global concern. But then in Psalm 3, you also have a personal concern. There's, there's intimidation on a personal scale. Psalm 3 is, is written by David in the Old Testament. When his son, his, name is, his son's name is Absalom, is out to take his father's throne and his father's life. And this situation was an ongoing consequence from a very dark period in David's life. This, this wasn't that he just had a bad son named Absalom who wanted his throne. David made some poor choices and even poorer choices. And then through those choices, there were consequences that he experienced for a long period of time. And so this psalm, Psalm chapter 3, the very next psalm, was written when David was fleeing for his life. 
And you get in Psalm 3 the raw response of a man who's being threatened by his own flesh and blood, his own son who's seeking to kill him. And his son, Absalom, has an army of, of, of men trying to find David. So here is Psalm 3. Whereas Psalm 2 is global scale intimidation, Psalm 3 is more personal level intimidation. Psalm 3 reads this in the first two verses. O Lord, David cries, O Lord, how many are my foes? How many rise up against me? Many are saying of me, God will not deliver him. This is what he's hearing. Because there's points where he's pinned down and he can hear the taunting of Absalom and his men. God's not going to save you, David. We're going to get you. We're going to find you. You're not going to make it through the night. And so we see in Psalm 3, a really, you know, a realistic example of personal threat. A personal fear. Enemies can be numerous. In this passage, just to break down a few thoughts here, one is enemies can be numerous. In David's case, he was outnumbered. He said, how many are my foes? And so the enemies were numerous. But in our, in our lives, we can have a lot of enemies at points. We can find ourselves outnumbered and in having tremendous opposition. You know, over here in this environment, in this environment, there could be just different places where we feel like, man, there's a lot of opposition that I'm experiencing at this season in my life. Uh, David also, you know, you see there's enemies can be aggressive. He's been driven out of his palace. Now David is surrounded at this point. He appears to be surrounded. His enemies were mocking him. They were demoralizing him. They're saying there is no salvation for, for David in God. He's not going to get... He's not going to help you. Your God is not going to help you. What they're trying to do with David is they're trying to get him to lose heart and to lose his courage. Now, for some of you here, you can really identify with David. There might be things in your life that you can think, wow, this is just like me. Like, I feel like all sorts of things are... And people are pressing in on me to bring harm and threat, to bring attack. People are ridiculing me. People are um, gossiping about me. People are opposing me. I don't know what your life circumstances are, but sometimes you read the Psalms and you're like, wow, it's just like what I'm experiencing. Or maybe on a spiritual level, you just feel like there's this attack spiritually on your life. You feel like it just does not let up. I just feel like this is, this is aggressive. It's ongoing. It's numerous. Some of you are you're sitting here and you think, I can't really identify with David on that level. Um, but I do have some personal level fears. Sometimes it's, we wonder if we're really, if, if we're really safe. Like, can I walk down the street safely? Can I, can, I, you know, can I send my kids to school safely and, and see them again at the end of the day? I mean, what about can I go to work? You know, there's workplace violence. Can I really go to work and, and know that I'm going to be safe? We have fears on that. On that, in that, along those lines, sometimes it's health and safety. Um, if you're a parent, you know it's very it's it's very difficult to not become overly protected, protective, in our culture, isn't it? There's this pendulum that has swung. When I was being raised, it was like. <laughs> You could do any. I felt like I could just do anything. Be gone all day long. I didn't have to come home until the sun would come down. And I would be gone, and it was. I'd be like fifth, sixth grade when I was that little shrimpy guy in that picture. I could be gone all day, and it was as long as I came home around nighttime. I was good. You know, if I think, would I let out my middle son or my daughter? Just hey, all right. You know, I remember points where parents would be like, "You need to get out of the house." 
walk you out of the house. <laughs> need a break from you. And it was like, you need to go play. You need to go explore. You need to get, you know, get on your bike and just go. Well, there's highways. That's fine. Use the crosswalk. You know? Well, there's, there's blackberry bushes. That's fine. You know, enjoy them. Try to avoid the thorns. But, you know, so you'd go and you'd, and some of you, you roamed the deserts and you'd, you'd, you'd hop on dirt bikes and you, you just had the freedom at a really young age to do things. Well, the pendulum has totally swung to the other direction, hasn't it? And now it's like, being overly protective is normal. And, and it's like, be careful, be careful. It's just the constant, it's be careful, what, what could happen? And, and the, the, the old Saturday Night Live spoof, it was called Bubble Boy. I don't know if anybody remembers that. The Bubble Boy, they actually made a movie about the Bubble Boy in the early 2000s, which is ancient history for some of you. But, but, uh, but the Bubble Boy, it was kind of like, you know, this, this protected environment for this, for this uh, boy. Now, now, some of you parents have legitimate concerns for your children's health. And I, and I get it. But a general paranoia has overtaken many parents. Or maybe it's not that. Maybe for you it's a more relational, personal fear that you deal with. Neighbors, coworkers, friends, family, there's just tension there, and so there's fears in that environment. I don't know where you deal with fear, but when you are afraid, what do you tend to do? What do you tend to do? Do you isolate yourself? Some people want to just pull back out of fear. So we're going to withdraw. We're going to pull the kids out of everything. We're going, to, we're going to withdraw from every potential threat that's out there. We're going to withdraw from society. Let's all just live in a compound together. We'll barricade the walls. We'll... We're not going to do that. Some people do that. <laughs> Some people isolate. Other people worry. I mean, I wish I didn't, but I, I tend to give in to worry at points that to battle back worry. And I start running the scenarios of what could happen in my life or what could happen in the world. And that can eat up a lot of my time and energy. Sometimes it's doubt. Some of, some of us here in the room deal with doubt. Like, how could God be allowing this to happen right now? And so, now the helpful aspect of reading through the Psalms is that we get to see real accounts of people struggling with feelings of threats, being threatened and intimidated. This is like reality TV. This is way more current than reality. I mean, this, this was before reality TV, if you could believe it. When reality TV like broke on the scene way back in ancient history, whenever that was, I don't know when that was, the real world and all that, 25 years ago, maybe, you know. It was like, oh my gosh, this is so exciting. You can see real people. It's not scripted, it's not rehearsed, and you're drawn into that because it's like, ah, I can identify with that. It's not dramatized. And sometimes in our lives... We come to the Bible and we think, oh, this is just so like, it's, we get to some letters and it's just, it's instructive and it's like, I know I should do that and there's, oh, I'm, I'm an instruction, I'm being an, instructed by God or by God's leaders and I know I shouldn't do this, I shouldn't do that and then, and then we don't ever spend any time in, in books like Psalm or other accounts where we get to see just real. David is just being very real here. Oh Lord, how many are my foes? They're, they're trying to kill me. They're ridiculing me. Here's what they're saying. And that's, that's, that's real life. It's refreshing sometimes when you move around in the Scripture and you get the heart of all of what it has to say. Because in the Psalms especially, it's so closely tied to the lives we live. And David, he's a king, but he's intimidated at this point. And it's like, he's, he's the tough guy, but he's intimidated. And tough people, 
get intimidated. Sometimes their child gets sick and all of a sudden the toughest guy you know is weeping. Sometimes the bravest person you know, they're intimidated by an unseen enemy that arrives on the scene. But the point here is there is one who cannot be rattled ever. Neither large-scale nor small-scale events can make him even flinch. And that's God. God is not intimidated by anything. God is not... He's not fearful. He is not intimidated by anything. In fact, when entire nations join forces in Psalm 2 and plot against God and mock God, you know, look, look again at the front when the nations are saying, you know, we're going to break the chains, we're going to throw off the fetters. When nations are joining alliances and saying, we're not going to be controlled by God, you want to see what God does in response? He sits in heaven and He laughs. He ridicules. Check out verse 4. Two, chapter 2, verse 4. The one enthroned in heaven laughs. The Lord scoffs at them. He scoffs at those who plot against Him. Can you imagine the level of power and ultimate control required to laugh out loud in the face of legitimate power you know, and real threats like these? Even the President of the United States, the Commander-in-Chief, with all the firepower of the American military, does not laugh at serious threats. But God's power is so much higher and so much greater that not only does He maintain composure, but He, he laughs. He laughs. And after having a laugh, then God, in verse 5, then in anger, He rebukes them in His anger and He terrifies them with His, you know, in His wrath. No one can go head to head against God and pose a threat to Him. That's what this psalm is saying. No one can stand God down, let alone cause any damage to come to God. God is not intimidated by any of the, of the issues on the global scale or on the personal scale. The challenges that we face, God is not intimidated. Therefore, we can trust in Him. God is often described by David as a rock and a fortress. Look at Psalm chapter 18, verse 2. Look at this psalm. Later on it says, David says, The Lord is my rock, my fortress, my deliverer. My God is my rock in whom I take refuge. He is my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. You know, under attack, a fortress is probably the best place you would want to be physically. You want to get into the fortress if you're on the run, if you're under attack. Whatever intimidated you outside of the fortress is no longer have a grip on you once you're inside that thing. You're, you're, no long, you're safe inside the fortress. Here's the definition of a fortress. It is a military stronghold, especially a, a strongly fortified town. This is the imagery that is often used in the Psalms about running to God. He is our fortress. He's our refuge. They're not susceptible any longer to the outside influences when you're in that stronghold. And God can be this for us. If we take refuge in Him, we can trust Him. We don't have to be intimidated. We don't have to be shaken or giving in to fear of all that is going on around us. And because God is not intimidated, then we don't either. You know, We don't have to be. And so, on a, on a smaller scale, things that cause us to, to freak out and burn up all of our, our energy, God offers us a, just a better way to handle the intimidation. Whenever we feel threatened and we're standing at a fork in the road, you know, we need to, to make a choice. What am I going to do? Am I going to worry? 
Am I going to trust Him? Am I going to worry and give in? Am I going to give in to fear? Am I going to let anxiety burn up all my energy? Or am I going to seek refuge in God who is a rock, who is a deliverer, who is a shield, a stronghold? David shows us how to do this. Flip to the back of your listening guide. You see some things here. How to take refuge when we feel threatened. The psalmist in, in, in chapter 2 is a different one. So, chapter 2 authored by a different person. So, chapter 2 we'll just call the psalmist. Chapter two, 3 is, is David. But in chapter 2, we see take refuge by trusting and keep obeying. Trust and keep obeying God. That's one way to battle fear. Verse 11 says, and this is the passage where it says that the Lord laughs at the at the nations that are conspiring against him. At the end of this psalm, it says, So serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the Son, lest he be angry. This is, this is a picture of paying homage to a rightful king and giving him the respect that is due him. Kiss the Son, lest he be angry and you be destroyed in your, in your way. For his wrath can flare up in a moment. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. Whenever we feel threatened, God calls us to take refuge, to run to Him, to trust Him. And these verses connect the dots on how to do that. Number one, verse 11 says, Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. So you get this picture of fear and trembling. It's not, it's not maybe what our mind runs to immediately in fear and trembling. In the Scripture, the, to fear God means I take God so seriously that I obey Him. I, I just believe that he is who he says he is. I take him at his word. I don't play games with him. He, I don't. One of my mentors says we don't monkey around with God. We realize he he is serious. So we have a a right uh, perspective on who he is. We have right understanding on who he is. We we fear him. And then there's trembling. So this is kind of like you're lightly trembling in 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 the light of. God's power. You're not freaking out and crawling on the ground, but you're 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 realizing God is awesome. He's majestic. He's holy. He's pure. He is good. He's mighty. And if our view of God is inaccurate, if we have the wrong view of God, then it's really hard to approach Him in the appropriate way. But if if we have an accurate perspective of God's character and power, then not only approaching Him is easier, but trusting Him is also easier. So the natural response to an all-powerful king is to obey him. If you fear God, then you, then you obey his commands. And when fear keeps gripping you, man, you, you lose. It's just, just a major loss. God wants us to not be frozen by fear, but to move toward him, or toward him in faith. The second thing here we see from David, how to take refuge when we feel threatened, we turn to God in prayer. When we're intimidated... Let that fuel the reflex of turning to God. A reflex is just it's something that is a natural reflex, like, like your funny bone. When they test your funny bone and they hit it and you, your knee pops out, and just, you can't control it and you kind of laugh at how that, oh, that's funny that, that, that it does that. If, if when we're afraid, if our reflex was to, was, to, was to turn to God and to really pray, David says that that's what you ought to do. And he actually gives us the example here in Psalm 3, verse 3. So, chapter 3, verses 1 and 2, it's where he describes, you know, his enemies coming, like his foes rising up against him. 
taunting him, ridiculing him. But then he describes, you get the prayer of David. And you can literally pray this prayer or you can pray something like this when you're struggling. David prays this, But you are a shield around me, O Lord. You bestow glory on me. You lift up my head. This, this type of ancient shield is a shield that would... Uh, I, looked, I looked into this. It was called a buckler. And some describe a buckler as a small shield. And others describe the buckler as a shield that was more all-encompassing. And so it would be like a guard above, even around and beneath, to protect us from our enemies. But David's saying, you are a shield... What he's essentially saying is, they can't harm me. My enemies cannot harm me. They cannot kill me. They're threatening me, but there is a limit. And he says, you bestow glory on me. You lift up my head. Enemies attack and cause us to look down, to feel defeated. They make us timid. They intimidate us. But what David is saying is, when we run to him and say, God, I declare you are my shield... I feel like I'm drowning, but God, I'm looking to you. God is able to to keep our head above water. He's able to keep us, and He's able to restore us. Not only protect us, but restore us even emotionally. Look at verse 4. Verse 4 reads, To the Lord I cry aloud, and He answers me from His holy hill. David cries, I lie down and sleep. I wake again because the Lord sustains me. I think, for me, this is a very important picture. David says, I, I lie down, I sleep, I wake again because the Lord sustains me. He, he understands some things. The fact that God sets the limits and the boundaries on all of the attacks that come my way. God sets the limits. He sets the boundaries on all of the attacks and all of the enemies that advance against us. Even in our most vulnerable points or seasons, God protects I can't think of a more vulnerable thing to do than to go to sleep at night. Can you? I mean, imagine David. His enemies are advancing against him and he's he's either in a cave or a fortress or a stronghold, but he's hiding out and then he... he has to go to sleep at some point. He can't sleep with one eye open. You know, you, you try to do that. David has to go to sleep eventually. But he declares, I lie down... And then I, I wake up because you sustain me. You get me through the night. Even in our most vulnerable places where, where our defenses appear to be down personally, God is guarding us. He is like a shield. He wakes us up. He sustains us. For me, that's been a real help. He says, I will not fear the tens of thousands drawn up against me on every side. Sometimes it feels like that. It's not just a few enemies. It's not just ten enemies or a hundred. He says, tens of thousands of things are coming against. I'm not going to fear, David says. Then he says, arise, O Lord. Deliver me, O my God. Strike all my enemies on the the jaw. Break the teeth of the wicked. He's basically saying, God, I know you're fighting my battles. You're you're not threatened. You're You're not shaken. You're fighting for me. From the Lord comes deliverance. May your blessing be on your people. God doesn't necessarily want a rehearse or routine or polished prayer. Uh, he certainly doesn't want a fake prayer from us. He wants us to be honest. And that's what we get here from David. We just get honest and raw. And even in the midst of unimaginable opposition, God can sustain you. He can fight for you. He can save you. He can deliver you. 
So I want to encourage you to turn to him. The next time you're gripped by intimidation, trust God, obey what he says, and then turn to him in prayer and watch him come through. Stand on his promises. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your, your goodness and your kindness. Thank you for the picture here that we see from, from Psalm 2 and Psalm 3 that you are taking care of major affairs in the world. Things that when we stare too long and when we linger too long watching the news or reading the news or scrolling through the news and seeing what could happen, Lord, You are not shaken by these things. And so, God, since You're not intimidated, God, we do not have to be either. And so help us to remember You're in full control. God, when when people are pressing in on us, when, when, when people seem to be coming against us or when we feel like we're dealing with difficulty at work or at school or and there's just personal opposition going on, Lord, we don't have to give in to fear. We can trust you. You you hold our reputation in your hand. You can sustain us. You can restore us. You can support us and hold us up. You can protect us like a shield through the night, Lord. We do not have to fear. Thank you for these promises, Lord. Help us to to really believe them and to walk in them this week, Lord. Would you help us in Jesus' name? Amen.